Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an excellent episode to share with you. I just had a fascinating conversation with a gentleman named Robert Brill. Uh, Robert is an entrepreneur. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Brill Media, uh, and they focus on hyper-local advertising, uh, and they were ranked as number 155 on the 2019 Inc. 500 list, which means they are one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the United States. Uh, Robert also has an awesome podcast called the LA Business Podcast, which I recommend you check out, uh, as well as his advertising firm. And uh, I really enjoy this episode. I find advertising to be a fascinating subject and the work that Robert is doing uh, is unique, it's creative, and there's a reason why uh, his company was able to grow at such an exponential level. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, and if you don't have an interest in marketing or advertising, maybe this will pique your interest. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Robert Brill. Hey, Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it. Great to hey, be here. Absolutely. Um, so for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work just yet, would you mind sharing a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Brill, uh, Robert Brill, and uh, our business is called Brill Media. We're uh, an Inc. 500 advertising firm. And uh, the thesis for a business is advertise like a Fortune 500 brand without spending a fortune. And we help advertisers use the tools and capabilities that are generally reserved for the largest brands in the world, the Fortune 500. And we give them the best data, algorithmic optimization, ad inventory, so that every brand, large and small, has the ability to outcompete um, the largest brands in the world. Wow. So for the audience listening to the Inc. 500 company means that you were, uh, and this was for 2019, you were one of the fastest growing private companies of the year. And I believe you ranked, was it 122? 155, yeah. 155. We'll, we'll call it 122, no? No <laughs> way. Uh, I knew it was a double number there. Uh, but that's truly remarkable, especially for a digital marketing company. I mean, if uh, if you go on LinkedIn or you you know stick your head out the window, you're going to get hit with digital marketing ads, and so that yeah. was really unique to me uh, because you know you must be doing something unique, different, and truly you know effective for your clients if you're able to achieve that kind of status. Um, yeah. So so what is it about? What kind of tools does a Fortune 500 company normally have that you're able to enable small and medium sized businesses to utilize? Sure. So um, there are. This is a lot of inside baseball to the end advertiser or even to a lot of the agencies we work for. 
Um, this is not critical to know. And, and that's actually part of the challenge in the, in the marketplace. There's a lot of jargon and a lot of um, acronyms in our business. So I'll throw some out and I'll tell you why these really don't matter. So programmatic is a jargony term, RTB or real-time bidding, DSP or demand-side platform, SSP or supply-side platform. None of that matters to the end advertiser. Um, or a lot of that doesn't matter to the agency. Uh, these are essentially tools that aggregate about half a million different data segments from big companies that existed before digital advertising, Oracle, Axiom, Nielsen, Experian. Um, and these companies are aggregating data about where we go in the physical world, what our interests are, what our, who our friends are, what our friends are interested in, the things we purchased on our MasterCard or Visa, so an aggregation of our, the, the totality of our interests and purchase patterns. Um, they also, these demand side platforms, um, aggregate valuable inventory, ad advertising space. So not just on mobile apps or websites, but also on places where you may not think is available to most advertisers. So things like Roku, uh, Amazon Fire Stick TV, mm -hmm. Hulu, DirecTV Now, um, digital out of home. So when you are driving and you see uh, a screen that rotates every 8 to 15 seconds on the side of the road, like these big massive bulletins, those screens, transit shelters, screens in malls. Um, and if you're in New York, uh, screens on the side of the road, like the Lincoln YC screens that give you Wi-Fi access. All these screens are digitally enabled. We run advertising on these screens just like we run advertising on your mobile device or your um, computer. And then finally, um, digital audio. And digital audio is here in Los Angeles, Power 106 or KISS FM. If you're listening to the audio stream, the, the digital stream of those um, stations, our ads are delivered to people listening to the digital stream. Also Pandora and Spotify and SoundCloud. So the totality of these um, advertising uh, opportunities is traditionally available to the largest brands in the world, and but literally a mom and pop restaurant or a company that has, who isn't spending a million dollars a year can access these tools and compete directly with the largest brands in the world. So the tools that make this advertising available, so the intermediary, there would be companies like MediaMath, the Trade Desk, DataZoo, Adelphic, Basis. No one, I mean, those are all viable, really incredibly sophisticated and important tools for people like me who are advertisers who understand how to leverage these tools. For the end advertiser for a business, what really is necessary to understand is that every place that advertising exists in 2020, you, the end advertiser can now reach people in those media formats. The difference between a small company and the largest brand in the world is just you're spending less money and you're reaching fewer people. Because if you're a restaurant or you're a chain of restaurants, you don't need to reach 20 million people. You may not need to only reach 100,000 people to get to have a noticeable impact to your business. So that's what we enable. Long answer to a very short question. <laughs> no, that's that's uh, very interesting though, because when when I see those things, I never even consider those as legitimate real estate or legitimate marketing space, uh, especially for my business. I think a lot of people assume Facebook, uh, maybe Instagram, even Twitter, or 
you know, sort of the low hanging fruit, but to get into those other spaces, what kind of, uh, I mean, are there there metrics or, or evidence about how effective those other means can be, uh, compared to some of the more common types? Yeah. I mean, it all, it's all variable. Like there was a recent study um, that showed that for digital out of home, for every dollar spent in digital out of home, it spends, it, it delivers $5 in addressable media back, addressable um, business performance back to the advertiser. The challenge, the challenge is that for every advertiser, these media are different. And I'll say that, or these um, metrics are different. So we have campaigns, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm not authorized to name the advertiser, but I can tell you about the case studies. We have one advertiser who's selling tickets to different events and the return on ad spend is 57. So for every $1 that we're running in advertising, $57 is coming back to them in ticket sales. We have wow. a restaurant that for every $1 that we're spending in advertising, they're getting $20 in restaurant sales. And now a lot of this is a lot of this advertising because it's so addressable is tied back to sophisticated targeting that a lot of it isn't available on Google and Facebook. So here's a, here's the reason why there are so many digital advertising companies and marketing companies. The reason is because anyone can log into Facebook and Google and buy ads. But that doesn't mean you're gonna do it well. That doesn't mean you understand the mechanics, the theory, the the art and science of running effective advertising communications. And I and I can say that we're our focus with our business, we're media buyers. We're not creative people. We work with creative people to get the right message in from the consumer. Our job is to find the right consumer to deliver the message to. So I like what you said. You inherently called it real estate. We are investment people. We invest in real estate. It's just we're investing advertising dollars in advertising real estate to get a business return on return on ROI or return on ad spend, whatever the thing might be. So a lot of these companies, so one of the key things that we do is called is hyper-local advertising. So hyper-local advertising is super interesting because uh, if you drill down into all the different data sets that exist in the marketplace, hyperlocal people understand hyperlocal. They understand location. They understand that like where I go is a direct reflection of what I'm interested in. Like if if I have a child and I go to a school every day, that, that either I'm picking up a child or I'm a teacher, right? If I, and how much time I spend at the school de- de- determines whether or not I'm a parent or or a or a teacher, let's say, or an administrator. If I walk into Chase Bank or Bank of America, well, you now know something very specific about me. I'm a customer of Chase or Bank of America. If I walk in, if I love eating out, so if you see me at different burger joints around Los Angeles, you can tell something very specific about me. So that data is being being left by consumers. Different companies are aggregating it, and our company buys a variety of different data sets that allows us to target people. So for example, in the restaurant um, case study that I was mentioning, um, we're targeting people who are um, going to specific um, Broadway theaters and other areas around Times Square to reach tourists, to get them to walk into a restaurant. And by the way, we don't just serve the ad, 
we directly attribute when a person saw an ad or clicked on an ad and then walked in to the restaurant. So we know directly when a person saw an ad and then walked and then converted essentially. And now we know the average ticket price of the, um, of the restaurant. And we know that when a person walks in, they're spending 50, 60, $70 at the restaurant. So for every one person that walks in, that person is worth between 50 and $70 for the restaurant. So that's how we determine the return on ad spend directly attributable to our campaigns. That's remarkable. Uh, I mean, I know for a platform like Facebook, you can measure by the click. How, how do you measure, uh, you know, if someone sees an ad in Times Square or something like that? Sure. So um, it's, um, it's scary and it's amazing. So if you're a consumer and you have qualms about privacy, this, you're not going to like this. If you're a business owner and you want to drive addressable business results, you'll probably love it. So basically, your mobile device has a uh, a tracker on it, a unique identifier that's specific. It's like a it's like a VIN number, but it's for your car. It's for your mobile device. And so, when that mobile device is served an ad, well, we know we, we don't ingest the data. Like we have the companies that I mentioned, the Trade Desk and Media Math, they're ingesting the data. They just do the analysis, and we get the report back. So, if device number ABC123 saw an ad for this restaurant because they were at a, the Orpheum or something in, in Times Square. And then if two days later, device ABC123 also walked into the restaurant, well, we know that the, they saw the ad and then they walked into the restaurant. So there's a connection between the person who saw the ad and then walked in. So having those two data sets lets us attribute addressably one-to-one that a person saw an ad and walked in. And that is just unbelievable because, I mean, really, it's not a form of targeting that would have been possible even five years ago uh, with, you know, where, where mobile technology was at. I mean, for everybody out there who might be skeptical of this, I recommend, you know, go on your phone, go to your location services, go to your settings, and you'd be amazed how much your phone knows about the locations that you go to. Uh, and uh, one thing that I, I talk about frequently is about, you know, sort of a, there's a constant battle for your attention. So many, every company out there, every, everyone who has a service or product to offer is trying to target you and target, uh, you know, get your attention for just a moment. What's interesting about this is that as the targeting gets better and better, uh, you know, you'll actually have less overall marketing noise, less advertisement noise in your face and you'll actually get more of what you're, uh, what might actually be a good product for you. Uh, that's, that's very interesting given the time and place. Where do you see this technology headed or do, or do you see this, um, you know, adapting or changing, uh, in the next couple of years or expanding even more? Um, you know, we're, we're, there's a little bit of uncertainty, um, because of CCPA, GDPR. Um, the, the question is, is technology, uh, lawmakers seem to be catching up and stifling, the technological capabilities that are available to advertisers. So what will, what technically can happen is um, incredible addressable one-to-one communications between an advertiser and a consumer. So technically that can happen. Legally, uh, we may see a world where that, that business um, uh, capability is stifled. So, you know, we don't have a horse in the race. Um, our job 
is to make available the best tools and capabilities in the marketplace for advertisers. If the whole ecosystem starts to become a, a less, I think about like resolution, like how, how vivid the imagery is of a consumer that we have, the data that we have. So if that resolution of the consumer becomes less vivid, then the entire marketplace is going to become less vivid. But the, the reality is that each advertiser in the marketplace will have access to these tools. Our job is to level the playing field between the Fortune 500 and everyone else. So whatever the Fortune 500 are doing and are, are legally allowed to do, we will bring that to mid-size advertisers. And that's just an amazing opportunity for business owners because uh, up until now, not only was the technology not possible to deliver these kinds of metrics and these kinds of measurable results, but also to be able to allow a smaller, medium-sized business to take advantage of, of these tools. That's very interesting. How did you stumble upon that? So I started in 2003 um, working in marketing and advertising and universal music. I was still in college at the time. In 2004, I got my first advertising job working at um, Universal McCann on Sony Pictures. I, I really, we I had some really fantastic leadership there. Uh, Elias Plishner was our head of the team and he's now big, big title at Sony Pictures. Um, he, I think, is a really important reason why I love this business. Um, and Sony allowed us to, and the client over there at the time was Dwight Keynes. He gave us permission to be creative in our advertising, even though we were not a traditionally creative business. We're immediate, we're an investment firm, really fundamentally. And I just became enamored with the business. And then programmatic, uh, this use of data and automation became a thing in my world in 2010, I started buying using this data in um, 2011. So this business is now the second time I've deployed this business model. Um, I did it once before for an agency I was working for at the time. And so really I've been doing this uh, since 2010-ish programmatic media buying. That's awesome. I'm curious, uh, one of the, the technologies that I think is very interesting that is probably underutilized is uh, augmented reality. And one thing that I have considered in the past, I don't know if this is something you've ever uh, stumbled on or, or considered, but using essentially like augmented reality as real estate space. So imagine if you're in like a baseball stadium or something and you're able to look through a particular app on your phone for let's say Starbucks. And if you look into the stadium, you'll be able to see a massive uh, advertisement for Starbucks or something like that, uh, which doesn't exist in the physical world, only the digital world, but can provide, but is, you know, takes up a lot of space and you could, you know, market that, sell that. But, you know, again, it's not physically real. So the leverage there is, is pretty high. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting thing. And in, in like, and I'll tell you to me that I don't know how to describe it, but that falls in, into a different bucket for me because the largest brands in the world, they have, um, they have um, what's what's the term called? It's a it's a it's an, a, a a rounding. This is the term a rounding error. They have a yeah. rounding error, and that rounding error is like two hundred thousand dollars because their decimals are off by one. 
like one decimal or something. So because of their millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, you have like $200,000 that's a rounding error for them. And, you know, some, someone within the organization has the opportunity to do something with a hundred or $200,000 that like doesn't have to actually drive business results. I think that type of thing is extremely valuable because it gives up, it gives large organizations the ability to test, to learn, to create opportunities for future learnings down the road when that type of thing becomes immensely scalable. The challenge with our business is that our clients don't have that $200,000 rounding error. They have to like make $200,000 look like a million dollars. And so that's one of the things that we don't have within our organization. We don't have that play budget. Um, so I think it's really interesting when it's going to be relevant for me is when 30 million people are deploying that those glasses or the augmented reality contact lenses, you know, like you see in like Mission Impossible or whatever. Yeah. And that type of ad inventory is scalable. When that becomes scalable, then I will be buying that. Until then, it's it's not real for me. Yeah, let the let the large corporations, uh, you know, take some arrows in the back, get their mud in the face or the yeah. face in the mud, and then you can pick up from there. When the because you have, right. you know, the thing is, you have there are there are completely different expectations of that. Like that's one of the key things that I think is important for advertisers to think about. Whatever they're running, if they're spending fifty thousand dollars or if they're spending two million dollars or whatever the case is, like like each line in the campaign there should be an expectation, a KPI for that, for that budget. What we, we're in meetings and, you know, connected TV is good, but it's not as effective as banners. Banners are just lower overall cost. It's more addressable, but there's a place and time for connected television advertising. Connected television is good because you're on the largest screen in the marketplace and you can remarket. So I have the ability to serve an ad on Roku, and then when I see you on your mobile phone the next day, I can serve you an ad and there's a, there's a remarketing element there. And we can track when a person sees a connected TV ad and then they buy something on the website using existing pixel technology. And, and the ability, but, but connected television advertising, when it goes head to head with like a banner ad campaign, isn't going to be as addressable, as effective when you look at the addressability of it. So the question is, should we cut connected TV? And the answer is, well, it depends. I mean, there's a, there's a demand generation element on connected TV. If you expect it to be as effective as banners, cut it. If you have different expectations for the campaign, definitely keep it on for that component of your budget. So I think it's important for advertisers, the largest ones in the world and the smallest ones in the world, to have a clear definition of what they expect from the budget that they're deploying. Because that's often where advertisers feel like their their business isn't working. It's not working, not because the advertising isn't working, it's because their expectations of what the advertising is doing is misaligned with the advertising that they're actually running. Got it, interesting. What do you see as some of the, you know, potential challenges for, you know, Brill Media as you enter into 2020 uh, to, you know, continue your exponential growth? <laughs> I think growth is about uh, developing continued relationships, new relationships and servicing existing relationships. So there's always a, it, you know, with, with a finite 
period of time every day? Do we focus, do I focus on finding new clients or do I focus on maintaining uh, a customer service for um, our existing clients? So the way we've solved for that is um, we have everyone on the team except for me focused on customer service with our existing clients. And my job is to prospect for new clients. Now, um, we do that because we have an, an exceptional chief operating officer. His name is Tony Price. And I've been thinking about this. I, I name him a lot because I've known him for 20 years. He's my, he's my friend. We've known each other from college. This is now the third time I've hired him. Uh, I want people to know who he is because he's an exceptional dude, like incredible professional, smart guy, and really just incredibly valuable for the operational role that we have him in. And he, he's smart. So I, I want everyone to know who he is. And, and so he's really good at that customer service and operational role. And my job is to evangelize, not just for our business, but evangelize for the ecosystem. I don't, I'm not selling Brill Media's capabilities. I'm really just selling what you can do in digital advertising. That's enough. Once I do that, then we're the de facto solution there. And we make it easy for clients to come and work with us because we don't ask for minimums. We don't ask for long-term contracts. We want to live and die by the merits of our, of our campaigns, our performance and our customer service. It's just easy, easier like that. Um, and so the way we maintain growth is I sell and I become a seller. And now the challenge is my, what I've found is that my job um, changes every six months, three to six months. So um, now I'm in the role of seller and in the past I was in the role of like pixel implementation expert and prior to that I was in the role of holy cow, we're scaling, I got to hire people. And so I was like head of HR and <laughs> it just changed. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, it, it's interesting to learn about your business and I know you uh, also, you know, it's pivotal a little bit. You, you have a podcast where you also interview CEOs or executives from other businesses. Are they, uh, and the podcast is called LA business LA, podcast, LA business podcast. Are all the people you interview based in Los Angeles or no, no. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, so I'll tell you about the naming. The naming was, I got to call it something. And you know, I, I probably looking back on it, I probably would, I would like, it's a learning process. So, so we have the podcast, we interview people, um, business owners and senior executives to learn about how they scale and grow businesses. That's what I'm learning. So it's like, you know, one business does well by uh, serving personal relationships. Another business does well by doing a lot on LinkedIn. Um, another business is doing well by partnering with a consulting firm. And, you know, so I, I'm very interested in the mechanics of how business happens in other industries. And I, I imagine, you know, you probably could have reached out to those people and have those conversations, you know, just in private and learn from them. What, what motivated you to, to get into the podcast arena? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible because it gives me a reason to talk to people and not have anything to sell. Um, so the motivation was I, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in people's stories. I like knowing what people do. And I figure why not share that with a, a larger group of people than just one-on-one -on -one conversations by creating this structure, it has allowed me to connect with people that I never would have connected with and have a reason to talk to them in a way that's not, not salesy, which I like a lot. 
Um, what I, but the, the challenge, the challenge for me, as I think about just how I, how I operate my business is I'm always in iteration mode. I'm always changing how we do things and trying to find a level of improvement. So it's like, now, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm debating: do I do I keep the podcast as LA Business Podcast, or do I change it to something else? And I think I'll just keep it as LA Business Podcast because it's like we're ten episodes in, and there's no point in changing it right now. But I'm always thinking: like, how can how can things be better? How can they be optimized? How can they how can they be better? I mean, that's the the marketing mind, right? Always A B testing. That's right. Yeah, and I, I can attest to that as well. But one of the coolest things about a podcast is being able to reach out to individuals that you wouldn't really have business speaking to otherwise and making connections. And I particularly like the style of yours where, you know, especially for your business, you're able to interview business owners and find out what works for them and what scales. And you can apply, you know, discover nuggets of information and potentially apply it to your own life, which is, uh, you know, unique and powerful. And, and not just that, but me listening to that podcast, I get to learn those things as well. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, in the digital marketing space, uh, I'm, you know, you, you mentioned some of the things that distinguish you from, from some of the other, you know, competitors out there. Are there others that make, uh, cause again, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with being on the fortune 500 list. Like what are some of the other distinguishing factors? Yeah. Get to the fortune. Yes. I apologize. The Inc 500 list. <laughs> Uh, but I'm curious, what else distinguishes you guys? What, what makes you different? You know, it's, you know, when I think about the evolution of our business, um, <clears throat> this business is fundamentally a reflection of me. The, the things that are good about the business are a reflection of like how I want to structure a business and the things that are bad are a reflection of how, of my flaws. And, you know, as a, as a professional marketer, um, when I started this business, I felt really comfortable with the technical knowledge I had. I did not feel at all comfortable with the concept of selling. I didn't feel comfortable with the concept of having the burden of responsibility of having employees. I really just started the business to see if I could do it. Like, honestly, like that, it was just like, I got like, I have this itch. I have to scratch it when I'm on my deathbed. I'll be unhappy if I didn't scratch that itch. Um, I also started this business because I felt like I wouldn't be able to find this type of interesting job working at another company. I didn't want to have to like put up with things that I didn't agree with. So what makes us different is it, like we create opportunities. We stand for the business owner. Like, like, we're not just a marketing firm. Like I believe in the fact that business owners need a reason, need a, they need an ally. Like if we work well with an advertiser, we can fundamentally change their lives. And that's for the advertiser and that's for the agency. Like our agencies, the agencies who work with us are, are keeping clients longer and they have a fully customized solution without having to deal with any of the challenges of actually running an advertising uh, trading desk business. So trading desk is sort of the colloquial term that our business would be characterized as if you're a larger agency. Uh, other trading desks would be like, you know, um, uh, IPG has, um, has Cadreon. Um, 
as a as a fundamental example. Acuin is another uh, trading desk who serves the largest um, brands in the world. <clears throat> so we're modeled after those companies. And I just think that we want to help business owners. We we're we're their ally. Like without us, you're gonna end up working with a company that only buys ads on Google and Facebook. And you're a hundred. You're so limited on the things you can do with Google and Facebook. It's a closed loop ecosystem. So recently, we're talking to a prospect today, uh, yesterday I should say, last last two days, and he says, "I have an email list, and I want to serve ads to the people on that email list." I said, "Okay, cool. Well, to do custom audiences, there's some requirement on Google now that you have to have an ad account that spends at least fifty thousand has in the lifetime spent fifty thousand dollars on." Uh, on Google, on AdWords, um, or Google Ads, um, so to turn on this custom audience. Okay, so we we meet that requirement. We can turn that on. But the point is, you don't want as an advertiser or as an agency, you don't want to be held to one or two companies. You want as many different. You you want to disperse your risk in many different ways. And so, like. There's so many ways we can do that outside of Google. For example, there are two great companies. One is Throttle, and one is LiveRamp. In those two companies, you upload an email list, and you can serve ads to people on that email list. And it's not just banners; it's digital audio ads. You can do the a slew of things. You can serve, you know, television, ad, you know, connected TV ads. So the point is, it's it's diversification of how your business runs because one company may change the rules on you and you kind of are just like stuck. So that puts us and our clients in a really great position. So another example of that would be um, cannabis advertising. I love cannabis advertising because it's really interesting. It's sort of new and, and happening. Um, and but I love it because there's so many challenges to it. Like we we get to figure something out at the at the forefront of this industry that's constantly changing and and it's just interesting because the, the the creative rules are changing the inventory owners that are that are accepting ads change every like month or two and there's new rules and rules that are relaxed and all kinds of things but you know we can service clients across the range across the spectrum of um of verticals and so i just we're a really, I think we're a really robust and flexible business that creates a lot of opportunity for agencies that work with us. That's awesome. I mean, I love the framing of, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, essentially like an ally for a business. That was always something that fascinated me about advertising. Uh, I read a book by Claude Hopkins. I don't know if the name rings with you. It's a, you know, he's essentially one of the founders of advertising in general, uh, you know, back when, this is like the late 1800s, early 1900s, where you know advertising was essentially a new science, and no one had any metrics or understanding of you know you put one dollar in, how many dollars do you get back out? And it's so cool to think that you know as a firm you can generate value essentially out of thin air because a, a company might have a product and they might be able to sell it to a client base, but uh, an advertising firm can step in can uh, essentially unleash your product to a much wider you know group of people and it becomes like a cash atm and so not only does it benefit you but it's like this whole new world for the for the company or for the business which is essentially you know I, I think is 
part of the reason we live in such an amazing world today with so much unique technology is the fact that we've figured out the science of advertising and, and delivering a product to the right people. The, the challenge with that, though, is that advertising is not a silver bullet. Advertising Absolutely. only works. Like, like, if it were a silver bullet, it's easy to create a product and then sell the heck out of it, right? The challenge is that when, when campaigns go, don't go well, here are a few reasons why, okay? When campaigns don't go well, the advertiser hasn't properly identified the right message that the consumer wants. Now to solve for that, advertising is a great focus group, right? You can run ads. Like I, I just posted an article today, like right before this, I, I kept saying um, ads on Facebook for Mike Bloomberg. And what caught me about the creative is I saw two ads, two different colors, two different images, same Photoshopped image of my, Mike Bloomberg with a football, different copy. And this is the season for not only political advertising, but the Super Bowl. So he mixed the two. And so now you have the ability to, like, I don't, like, I really don't care what message actually works. What I care is that we run a hundred different messages and we figure out the one that's going to work. Like I'm not tied to being right on the message. I'm tied to finding the right message that drives the business result for the advertiser. Go south is when they don't run enough creative to figure out what works. They don't have the fortitude to break through because the first 10 creatives you run are not right. They don't have the right imagery. They don't have the right copy. They just don't, they, they just don't resonate to the audience. You know, so having the ability to identify, to use the, the communication tools of our time are not only used for communication, they're, they're used for research. So a lot of the, a lot of, I wrote an article in Inc. And one of the things that I mentioned is advertising is not just about driving business results. It of course is, that's what everyone thinks about, but it's understanding what your consumer wants, what messages resonate with them, what products your consumers want, what price point is better for your consumers. This is all research that advertisers can find and understand and insights that they, they can derive from running an effective advertising campaign. And the only way you can, you can get those insights, and this is where another, another place where advertising goes wrong, a specific campaign might go wrong, is they don't under, the advertiser and our job is to help steward this process by the way right <clears throat> is under like creating a template what do you want to learn from the advertising campaign and it's really about understanding the motivation of the human that we're talking to whether it's a cmo the head of brand the business owner what is your motivation we had one client many years ago who if we didn't spend the advertising budget for the, for the year, for the quarter, like you know, something about Q4, they didn't get a bonus. So it had to work, but also I don't want any make goods, like spend the money. Okay, so that changes the way we operate. A business owner says, look, my $1 in advertising investment needs to look like five or $10 in business, you know, money back into the business. Okay, that changes the framework. Uh, a brand manager, or a CMO might say, or let's say a brand manager and the CMO too. Let's say, you know, they're going to have a meeting with the CEO or their boss or whoever it might be. I just want to look, my campaigns have to work and I want to look smart in the meetings. 
I want to go to the meeting and say, look, we know that creative with the blue background didn't do well because it didn't resonate in the in the news feed, but the creative with the pinkish reddish background like had twice the click-through rate and drove 50% more conversions. The message was the same, but the imagery performed better. So that type of insight. So it's in, like a lot of what we do and going back to your question about differentiation, I would hope that all advertising companies do this. I don't know that they do. I've been at plenty of advertising companies, large and small. I don't think a lot of this was, was happening or maybe I just wasn't involved in it. Is understanding the motivation of the people behind the ad campaign and creating learnings and insights, but not all of that needs to happen at the discovery phase of the campaign or as the campaign launches. It cannot be an after the fact decision. And ultimately when we set up campaigns, we know the story we want to tell at the end of the campaign, at the start of the campaign. We don't know what the click-through rate is going to be exactly. We can give you an estimate. We don't know exactly how many sales are going to generate. I don't know which of the five tactics are going to perform the best. I don't know which creative out of 100 or 10 or whatever is going to perform the best. But I know that the story I'm going to tell is this line did better than this line. These 10 data sets did better than these 100 data sets. This one or two creatives with this variation did the best and these other ones did not so well. Like I know the story. And by the way, you want to learn that whether your audience is male or female, we can tell you that answer based on the ad creative. We can tell you which platform does better, Facebook or, or uh, Instagram. We know mobile versus desktop. We know banners, you know, contextual targeting versus audience targeting. Our job is to be a coach, a therapist, a listener, to read between the lines and get a sense of what the person behind that campaign wants. And so I think that's actually one of the most critical things that we can do, that we do very well to make campaigns work. Yeah, that, and that's even more amazing, uh, being able to drill into the motivation for you know, whoever is launching the advertising, but also the motivation for the, the person on the other end of it to buy it. And ultimately it turns into a science of psychology and understanding uh, you know, basic motives and, and what catches attention. And it, it just, uh, I think for a lot of people on the outset, advertising seems like a, you know, uh, it, it doesn't, they, they don't, they miss some of those interesting features about it where if you really dig into it and dig into the science of it, it's more of an exploration into human psychology than anything else. And it's, it's data driven. Like everything it's like, you know, people, people, I don't know what, people think is advertising and people I talk to who are just like not, not anywhere related to this business. They, they often think of advertising as a creative. They don't think of advertising as the media investment, but all we do really is we look at numbers all day. Like it's not, it's not the matrix. It's just a stream of numbers in, in every possible format. It's like, okay, Excel documents, tables, charts, what do the numbers tell us? But all that becomes meaningful if you have context and, the best campaigns have that context ahead of time and the best stewards of an advertiser relationship like Tony Price and Linda Mansour, our senior account manager, um, these people set the context for the campaign and they understand the motivations to your point of the advertiser ahead of time. And then the buyers can go in and look at the data from the perspective of, okay, this guy wants us to spend all his money. This guy wants to know which is going to perform the best. It's other guy or gal wants business performance. That's all they care about. Don't even tell me about ad creative. 
It's uh, what are some of the, I'm just curious about, you know, uh, you mentioned some of the metrics before of like, you know, $1 of ad spent during this $20 of restaurant purchasing or whatever. What, uh, what's the best sort of spread you've ever seen in your, in your, in your business? Um, we've had other campaigns that get higher than 57 return on ad spend. Um, it's, it's hard because, um, it's because, we haven't had this level of visibility for the duration of our campaigns. Like when I did movie marketing, right? We'd spend a million dollars on a movie and uh, you know, it opened up to 15, 20, $30 million. Now I can't, it, that's tough because like there's television running, there's um, the cachet you have of the actors or and the talent. There's a ton of things that, you know, there's the promotional material that just exists within the marketplace. So it's hard to say like it, it's not a direct correlation between or connection between like running an ad and seeing, seeing a sale. Um, but I think in terms of hard dollars being part of that is probably the largest thing that I've been a part of. And that was very early in my career. Um, directly on our campaigns, I think we've seen return on ads been as high as 60 and 70. Um, it's It depends on the product. But look, the targeting it's it's always like if all things are equal and all things are never equal the targeting has to be there which that's what we do the targeting and the and the optimization that's that's the core thing that we do um then the question is the person who developed the creative like did they hit did they hit the mark or not mm-hmm. and that also and that that goes back to what i was saying earlier like you don't really have you, got, you just got to be close like create a hundred variations and one of them or 10 of them will, will do really well. Like you just kind of have to be close. You don't have to hit the mark. We have a really great um, strategist on our team. Her name is uh, Brandy Peters. She's up in Canada and um, she is great with meme advertising. Like, like the stuff that she does is, is so is hilarious and, and so funny. And, um, and that's another example where she's, she's got a completely different background than a lot of the people I've worked with. Like, she doesn't develop banners and stuff like that, but she, she understands the nuance of how to get someone to stop. Like when you're scrolling through your newsfeed, how do you get someone to stop, pay attention? Cause that's, that's just, that's, that's the, that's, that just gets you the opportunity for the message to be consumed. Like that, the, the, your message can only be consumed when the person stops and actually takes a, takes a read of what you, you're saying. And funny often does very well there. Um, a lot of sort of uh, business people that I've spoken to speak to uh, or, or, or they, they, they come to me and tell me that like, like, like negativity catches consumers. I hate that. I cannot, I, I cannot bring myself to speak to the negativity of a situation. It just isn't, it isn't who I am. And it feels, it feels, it feels uncomfortable for me to do that. And maybe, maybe things would be better. Uh, if I did that, but I just can't do that. So I think what you'll see in the marketplace is speak to the pain points. Like your business is as you're not doing X. I could say that in, in advertising and like your business would, but I think really funny, interesting stuff works and negative, negative stuff also works. Um, so it's really just combining the the talent so that we have, um, we have an opportunity to, to speak to the consumer. And that's, Finding that right mixture, that right recipe, that right combination is the art of advertising. 
Yeah, it's, that's beautiful. And, and uh, you mentioned one thing there, the meme advertising, that's got to be sort of, it's like the frontier uh, right now, it seems. Uh, do you have any good examples of, of how that was implemented? Um, and, and this is sort of like on the cusp of like what is allowable in Facebook um, terms of service. So the, the campaigns that I've seen aren't, aren't having any problems with it, but it's one of those things where it's satire and satire is, I believe, legally protected. But again, I'm not a, I'm not a creative expert, so I, re- I defer to all the creative experts in the room. Um, I mean, there's just one my wife sent me yesterday that so, which is, which was really funny. It was um, Smithers from The Simpsons, and yep. so Smithers in the corner, like like trying to shield his eyes, and two women in bikinis shaking, twerking in front of him, and he's just trying to cower away from it. And it the caption is Smithers me, and then the two women twerking ad ad <laughs> yeah it works better when you see it obviously yeah yeah of course do it so that maybe you can post it but like but like that would be a good example of like when ad targeting goes wrong like you're hitting mm-hmm. the and then the, the opposite would be um a really great a really great scene from mad men uh with john ham and uh christina hendrix christine hendrix uh when they're kind of like flirting in a bar when an ad tar- when an ad targeting when ad targeting goes really well because there's there's yeah chemistry there um so but again obviously meme advertising hard to describe over a podcast much better when you look at it yeah certainly and but i i think for the the general idea of the concept or the interesting thing about you know meme advertising is that to understand a meme, you have to understand certain layers of culture. You have to understand, you know, sometimes there is, you know, if it's an image from Mad Men or an image from The Simpsons, combined with a certain meme format, combined with the message about a product or, or an idea, it's like these, all these layers of information and culture mixed together into just one image that someone can process uh, in just a few seconds is really like, I think that's like the highest level we've achieved as far as people's understanding of just one, you know, group of pixels with a few words uh, can ring true on, on a deeper level than probably what's ever been, you know, any other media that's existed up until this point. Well, and that's, and that's why creative makes me exceptionally uncomfortable because I will, I will so overthink it and write so much copy that is not necessary. And like, and, and the entire time I think of like, whenever I'm looking at creative or doing something that I have to actually to have my creative input, I'm like, who am I going to offend? Because I see it one way, but I got to simple it down a little bit. I'm going to offend some people. I'm going to get called out on Twitter for saying something that I shouldn't have said. And why are you such a jerk? Might get canceled. Um, Like having, having this, like this philosophical debate in my head. I'm like, I'm just not going to do this. I'm going to leave it to the the smart creative people like Brandy, Brandy Peters. Yeah. I have a ton of respect for the creative people who can somehow tune into like the collective consciousness and know what, what will offend, what will work, what doesn't work. That's truly a superpower. Yeah. So um, as we, you know, enter a new decade here, a new, new year all overall, I mean, uh, what are you most excited about in the advertising space or with your business? You know, I think 
we're on a sales push right now. Um, what gets me excited, I've learned this about myself recently, I like to learn new things. I want to learn how to do them. And then I quickly want to um, create a team to do that based on the framework that I've set up. So right now I am finding the nuanced like elements that are able to inspire and motivate someone to come and work with us quickly, right? Because the sales process for advertising could be anywhere from three to six months uh, to onboard a new agency and, and deal with all the decision makers and handle all the, the challenges that might come up and actually get a campaign up and running. Although in some cases, like we had a, you know, I, I actually went into Reddit recently. So, so the short answer to your question is sales. Like I'm really interested in, in creating a predictable, repeatable sales model for our business. Cause a lot of what I've done is relied on my relationships and luckily people I've done good in, in the situations that I've been in. I haven't alienated people and people like working with me. So thank God for that. So I have a business, right? Uh, now it's like, okay, people who don't know me, how do I break through that? And the shortest turnaround time for me has been, I went into Reddit, answered a question for an agency and uh, in Mexico. And they're like, how do we create a trading desk? We want to create a trading desk. Uh, what do we do? What's, what are the nuances? And like two weeks later, we had a campaign up in life or maybe three weeks later completely unconnected, like didn't know them. I would have never found them otherwise, but we connected on Reddit. I answered a question and it turned into business. Like that's wow. the shortest. I want more of those. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, again, it's, it all goes back to how many avenues there are uh, available today and sort of runs sort of, you know, in parallel to your business model utilizing, you know, some of these, let's call them, forgotten about avenues for small and medium sized businesses. And with all the means of communication, all the ways of presenting a product now is such a unique time and a uh, unique time for any business owner to be, you know, to, if you have a good product to be able to advertise it and for uh, marketing firms and uh, you know, businesses like yourself to be able to sort of, you know, blow up a business that wouldn't be able to get their message out otherwise. Gotta have the, the fortitude. That's, that's the key whenever you're a business owner or you're an executive or you have a goal, just there are going to be setbacks. There are going to be challenges, but if you have the right team around you, um, you have the greatest chance of success. And if you listen to what the team is telling you, that will also bring about the quickest sort of ascension for a business. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, we're coming up on our time here, uh, Robert. I want to see though, if you have, you know, before we wrap up any final asks, requests or message for the audience out there, the listeners. I mean, um, uh, thank you so much for uh, hopefully uh, listening to something interesting here with uh, me talking about advertising. Look, if there are two general clients that we have and two general appeals, if you're an advertiser and you want to grow your business, come work with us. We will do really well for you. Uh, we'll get you that return on ad spend. If you're an agency and you want to earn a prof, create a profit center around digital advertising without having to hire a team of 10 people and learn all the jargony junk that's in our business and learn ad tech and figure out all that stuff and you want to learn how to sell the things that we do, um, we help agencies earn profit on top of our work. And if they're already doing this, our agency partners are increasing their revenue substantially uh, when they work with us on their media spend. 
Excellent. Well, you know, I, I found this whole conversation very interesting. I think everyone has a certain responsibility to learn about advertising, whether you're a business owner, you want to, you know, you have a product, you're an independent artist or anything, you need to understand ads and how to get your your work in front of people. And then also, even if you're just a consumer, you have to understand how you're being targeted or else, you know, you're just sort of blind. And so uh, I appreciate you sharing all the, your insights and knowledge in this space. I could, uh, you know, talk about advertising all day. Very interesting to me at least. And, um, you know, again, thank you very much. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.